Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within your wounds, hide me. Permit me not to be separated from you. From the malignant enemy, defend me. At the hour of my death, call me and bid me to come to you that with your saints and angels I may praise you forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. That, of course, is the Anima Christi prayer. Today, if you've been to Mass, you heard the reading. It was rather short to the Gospel, but uh, has a lot to it. So let's just go read that from Luke 8, 1-3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod the steward, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what are we seeing from this passage? We're seeing that there's... There's a band of women here that are accompanying Jesus along with the 12 apostles. And this is a diverse group of women. Some are from a very rich background and prominent families. Others uh, were formerly possessed. Some have physical infirmities. So there are all sorts of dynamics going on here. But because of Jesus, they come together. These women probably ran in different circles and probably rarely would have had an opportunity to meet, except for the fact that Jesus brings people together from all walks of life. Um, Mary Magdalene is probably of these women the most famous, and um, she's an interesting one as well. When we think about her, to say that she's possessed of, by seven demons, seven in uh, biblical writing is always kind of refers to God's perfect number, perfect completion. So perhaps she was perfectly possessed or perhaps she was uh, exhibiting all seven deadly sins and the demons that correspond with them. We don't know for sure, but she was in a heap of trouble before she met Jesus. And you know, her name wasn't really Magdalene. That's a town that she comes from. It was Mary who lived in Magdalene. And uh, that was only about six miles from Capernaum. So she might have known Peter and the other fishermen. That's not a tremendously long distance in, uh, in ancient times to walk, and to, especially if she was going to go to buy fish over by the lake uh, or the sea. So they, they might have known each other prior to Jesus coming onto the scene. We don't know for sure. But anyway, these women are now following Jesus around and providing for him and the apostles. So it begs the question today, are you ready to serve the Lord and support the work of the gospel with your personal resources? It's a good question. We have a, 
another fundraiser coming up in a few weeks. Well, actually, yeah, just a few weeks, I think. Um, if you want to give something today, you can call 888-408-0201 and help support the Ministry of Radio Maria. But uh, just in general, are you ready to serve the Lord? Not just by following him, but by also supporting the means to get the gospel out. So he had three years of public ministry. And during that time, he traveled all over uh, Judea and uh, Israel. And the gospel records that this band of women was uh, the, the ones who were taking care of these, these men as they're doing the work of uh, forming the grassroots of the church. So we have, uh, like I said, we have Mary Magdalene, who was very troubled before she met Jesus, but she was also very privileged. She was the first, uh, according to the Gospels, the first one to see Jesus risen from the dead. Joanna was uh, the wife of King Herod's chief financial officer, so very wealthy woman and a member of the court. And uh, it was Jesus and his message of the kingdom of God that transformed these women. Now, here's a very telling point. Unlike the apostles, who took some degree of pride in being the chosen 12, in fact, we know at least two of them were jockeying for higher positions, uh, these women did not seek special positions or demand special privileges. You know, they were just happy being in the Lord's presence and doing what they could to make life a little easier for them. You see, Jesus had touched them so deeply that now, out of that great gratitude, they'll do anything for them, even menial service. They brought their gifts and whatever they had to Jesus to use as he saw fit. So, and really, it's a much different uh, posture than the apostles, you know, particularly in those early years. So... Are you more like the status-conscious apostles who are concerned about their position, or are you more like these women who are content to serve Jesus quietly and generously with their personal resources? It's a good question. It's one we should often be looking back to. You know, in our fallen human nature, our uh, fallen natural tendency is to want to be served and to be placed first and to avoid getting too much, uh, giving too much of ourselves to the service of others. Uh, when you think about it, like it just in the way the culture is, who really prefers to take the lowest place of the servant? Not many people. But Jesus did. You know, he's our best example of the way he said, "I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom." Uh, and these women, this gospel today is honoring these women who imitated Jesus in his selfless, sacrificial love and humble service. So when you're called to serve, when when you know that you're being called to serve in some capacity and you're having difficulty getting up the wherewithal to do it, you have to pause and think about God, the Son, Jesus, the Word, actually, it would be the Word before he, he was Jesus, um, the word comes, leaves the throne of heaven, which would be the most beautiful throne uh, far beyond anything we know in this world. He leaves the beauty and the peace and the serenity 
and the joy of heaven and comes down to earth to serve us mere human beings. He did it. He came and he served. And then he offered his life as a sacrifice for all of us for our sins. Um, so when we have, tr if, if God did that for us, we, we ought to always be thinking we need to be serving, you know, because we are not God. We should be serving others because we're not God. When God came down to serve people, that should be a light bulb going off of your head saying, well, wow, if he did it, I, I have to do it because I'm so much lower on the totem pole than God is. I mean, it's, there's, no, there's no comparison, really. So we have to be a people that are serving. And it really should be like these women. It has to be a privilege that we see this as a privilege as children of God and disciples of Jesus to serve as Jesus served. And how did he do that? He did it with great humility. He did it with a selfless love, perfect generosity, even joy. And we should be willing to do whatever God asks of us. And you know what he does? He gives us the graces necessary to complete the tasks and the missions he gives us. That's it. So if he's calling you to do something, he's going to equip you perfectly to do that job. And you, you can do it uh, with an attitude of selflessness. So in that vein, you know, when you're up, like these women, very humble, their humble service to the Lord and to his friends, probably not a tremendous amount of pruning had to be done because they're already so humble. It's the proud who get a lot of pruning done to them. You know, uh, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. I don't know if you caught that. So if the branch is not bearing fruit, he takes it away. If the branch is bearing fruit, he prunes it back. Either way, you're getting chopped. Did you catch that? Either way, you're getting chopped. One will be thrown in the fire, the other will bear more fruit. So we have to be <laughs> realizing that this is a process. It's necessary to become a saint. And it's something that uh, all the saints went through. Perhaps not the Blessed Mother, because she was already perfect. So she didn't need any pruning. But everybody else does. And, you know, we have our, our, our fragile little human psyches. We, we hate sometimes the fiery trials that test our souls and cause us to lean into the arms of grace. That's a very difficult posture when you're being pruned. So you have to realize this is something that's going to benefit me when God's pruning us. You know, I've really, I don't think I've ever heard someone ask God to send a season of pruning into their life. It's just not something anybody prays. Usually people pray more, the, the, the more prayer. Can I have more of this? Can I have more of the, even good things? Can I have more uh, love for you, Lord, or more love for your people? These are all good prayers. They're not bad. But it's rare to ask for, give me more pruning. And yet, if we, if we were pruned more or perhaps quicker, we might become saints quicker or be greater saints. Who knows?
uh, even when we read about Jesus in Hebrews, it says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Uh, as part of Jesus's sonship was to learn obedience through suffering. It's a vital part of the Father's heart uh, message to us that very few people are willing to address. So vital to our identity as sons and daughters of God is our ability to learn obedience and perseverance through suffering. So Jesus, in his divinity, did not need to learn anything. It was only in his humanity. He has two natures, one person with two natures, fully divine and fully human. In his humanness, he would have to learn uh, obedience and to, to Joseph and Mary. You know, that's scriptural. We know that. And in, in the process, now it's, the, the, the scripture use the word suffering. I'm not sure that would be a suffering for the Lord because he knows that it would be, be doing it for love. It's out of love that he would be doing it. So I don't, I'm, I'm not sure it would be the way we look at suffering. St. Alphonsus Liguori, one of the best saints uh, in terms of his theology and his understanding of the Mass. You want to know more about the Mass? Read Duties and Dignities of the Priesthood, where he lays it all out on what, what the role of the priest really is. It's a, a brilliant book. But anyway, he wrote another uh, classic called The Practice of the Love of Jesus. And he sets forth a quote from St. Augustine on the issue of suffering. And this is that quote. The same miseries send some to heaven and others to hell. The test of suffering separates the wheat from the chaff in the church of God. Those who in times of tribulation humble themselves to the will of God are wheat for paradise. Those who grow haughty and enraged and so forsake God are chaff for hell. Wow, Augustine, he didn't play around. Um, if we preached homilies like that, we'd probably get a call from the chancery that we're being too harsh. Who knows? Uh, so, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is preparing the disciples for a very intense three days of trial and disillusionment. Satan is coming, but he doesn't have a foothold in Jesus. The trouble that's coming, however, would reveal the character issues in the apostles. Jesus instructed his disciples on the necessity of abiding in him during this great trial that they're going to endure. Uh, and, and he uses this allegory of the vine and the branches. So the father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. And we, the believers, are the branches attached to the vine. And just as uh, the life of the branch is contained in the vine, so too the life of the believer is found in Jesus. He's the source of our life. And it's only in abiding in him that we can be fruitful in our own lives. So we need to be connected to him in order to bear good fruit. If we're not connected to Jesus, we're probably not going to bear good fruit. And then in addition to this concept of abiding is also the pruning. So for most of the people who live in big cities and don't garden, this is not, not a very common concept, but I have fig trees in my backyard 
and they were so tall. I didn't know how big they were supposed to be. They were probably 14 feet high. And I had um, my friend Carlo, uh, who is from Sicily and very familiar with fig trees, was visiting. And he said, these are way too big. Why are these fig trees so big? You have to prune these. So I called the gardener for the property, for the church property, and he came by and he pruned the trees. And boy, did he cut these things back. I mean, he took off, I would say, probably six or seven feet. And then all this inner pruning on each of the major branches. Uh, and when I first looked at them, I said, I, I didn't tell the man this, but I was thinking, I think he went too far. I don't think, I think that was way too much. <laughs> because it was just like the trees were less than half their size. But anyway, it was the right thing to do because too much energy was being expended on the leaves and not enough on the fruit. My figs were were rather small compared to a, the normal size of a fig, and that was the problem. All that energy was being put into the leaves. Uh, and a funny thing is, when you get a new fig tree and you plant it, the first thing you're supposed to do that year, the first year before winter, is um, to cut it in half so that most of the energy goes on the roots going deep. But you would know that if you're not a gardener. But these are the things you can pick up. So how do you recognize if you're in a season of pruning? Many times in our various trials, we find ourselves confused whether the circumstances are the result of, say, the devil's rage, our own sin, uh, maybe a compromise, or God's sovereign orchestration. You know? Well, the first thing, <laughs> when we face a great trial, we often fail to know whether to rebuke the enemy, repent of sin, confront the situation, or surrender to God's molding process, or all of the above, right? I'm sure we've all been through this. What is happening to me? Why is this happening? Did I do something wrong? Is the devil angry at me? Is he retaliating against me? Or is this God trying to form me, mold me, like the potter with the clay? So discernment is so important. We must be a people that can discern. And to discern, you have to be uh, good at praying contemplatively. So you have to just take yourself down a notch on the emotion, emotion scale and go into prayer and just say, Lord, this is what you know what's happening to me. And this is what it's doing to me. And this is how I feel. And I can't control this. And I'm not sure why it's happening or, or who is initiating this. And so... Show me here, Lord, how to pray in this situation. And hopefully that what he reveals will, will lead you towards the direction you need to go. Uh, but a primary indicator for pruning is the suffering of loss. A season of pruning brings loss. It could be possessions, finances, influence, position, relationship, opportunities. Pruning is usually uh, symbolic of some kind of a loss. And the process of loss produces, sometimes makes people just despair, have fear, make them tired, weary. So the temptation then comes for one to give up or draw back into a more safe and comfortable situation.
which you can see how that would make sense. This seems to be getting out of control. I need to pull back. I've heard this many times, even with people who pray, that they feel like the prayer is causing too much retaliation, so they need to stop praying to some degree. Well, I don't know. I, I don't see how stopping praying ever solved anything. But it might bring you more comfort in that you're not being, uh, so have your feet to the flames, so to speak. Uh, imagine the devil speaking to, to Peter after he denies Christ. Can you imagine the thoughts going through Peter's head? Uh, oh, Peter, you failed beyond repair. And now your life has no future. You've wasted everything. Fisher of men, you you are a failure. Go back to your old way of fishing for fish. That's, I'm sure, was running through his mind. But after the resurrection, uh, Peter has a conversation with Jesus where Jesus asks him if he loves him three times. And Peter did love Jesus. He just had a moment of failure which is, you know, we make mistakes and then we repent and move on. So the testing of our faith proves its genuineness because in the end, Peter does profess his faith in the Lord. And notice Jesus didn't remove him from becoming the first pope. He, he used the opportunity to grow, which is what pruning does. It brings forth more fruit. So listen to this scripture now from uh, Peter 1, 6-9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you, who ha whom having not seen you love though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls that's the same man who wrote that that denied jesus three times so he's speaking from experience and he's speaking to us whom having not seen you love we have not seen jesus Peter saw Jesus, but we haven't seen him. So he's speaking to us, to the church in uh, the future. Uh, and St. Paul also encourages us not to grow weary in doing what we have to do. And that uh, though we might have tribulations, that the saints will receive the kingdom of God. So the a pruning in one's life demands that we refocus without retreating. We have to refocus back on the Lord, keep your eyes on the Lord and dig down deep in your prayer that you would be strengthened and come through your pruning season bearing much more tremendous fruit for the kingdom of God. That's the whole purpose. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to do but it's necessary to become a saint. So if you want to be a saint, this is part of it. So finally, I would say the last thing is uh, every time 
we have the Blessed Mother with us. We're going to do better. You know, Jesus had her and, and was uh, raised by her. And uh, he wants the same for his brothers and sisters, which is you and I. And so in, I would say in all seasons, yes, invite Our Lady into your life. But particularly when you're troubling, when you're on the cross, it would be good to have her at the foot of the cross with you. Because in every situation, she's going to bring forth, and she will bring forth tremendous fruit in your life as well. So um, get close to Jesus, get close to Mary, and all will be well. Well, that's about it for today. Thank you for joining me this uh, Friday. And um, let me give you my blessing. May the blessing of Almighty God come down upon you and remain with you forever. And I bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan signing off. <laughs>